encourage everybody uh, to go ahead and grab your Bibles. Uh, grab your Bibles. Hopefully you can see me. Uh, if they haven't already, maybe they'll zoom in a little bit closer uh, on me so that uh, you can see me today. Uh, but we're going to be uh, in Mark, in Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10. And so we'll be able to, uh, we're going to kind of pick up on a series we uh, left off a, a couple weeks ago. I know last week was uh, kind of our first time on this and really God kind of impressed on me to, to put a special message out there specifically for everybody, but we want to kind of get back on, on schedule uh, because I'm really excited about uh, in the coming weeks of having Easter. Now, I don't know what Easter is going to look like at this point, obviously. We don't know from moment to moment or week by week, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm expecting to have Easter some way, shape, or form, even if it's in this mode. Uh, so we want to prepare and get our hearts ready for Easter and uh, so these messages, as we coming up, we'll get prepared and get going towards Easter, uh, so we're ready to go for that. So Mark, uh, chapter number 10, uh, if, hopefully you have your Bible with you. If you don't, maybe it's in your bedroom or in the car. I'll give you just a moment or two to run out there real quick and get it. And, uh, but we're going to be in Mark, chapter number 10. If you don't know uh, where Mark is in your Bible, uh, you have two sections of your Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And so the New Testament is... Um, the second part of your Bible, and Mark is the second book in the New Testament. So Matthew and then Mark. So Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10. Um, we'll go ahead and start in verse 17. Uh, we have one verse to kind of start with, and then uh, we'll get going here uh, this morning. So Mark uh, chapter number 10 and verse 17. It says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running, and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may in inherit eternal life? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for an opportunity, Lord God, to reach not only um, our congregation here in Fairview, Alabama, but Lord God, to reach people uh, around the world. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would continue to move in an awesome way. Uh, Lord, we need you right now, and Lord God, specifically for the message, Lord, this is an important message that everyone needs to hear, and this is a message that everyone can get something from, regardless of where they are in their faith journey, even those, Lord God, that are listening right now, watching right now, that maybe are curious and are not really sure about their faith journey and not, not even sure about this whole Jesus thing, Lord God, there's something for them today as well. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would just minister to our hearts. We need you today. In your wonderful, holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, we're in a series. We're in a series called, Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? That's the title of our series. And so we've taken the past, uh, really since Christmas, several weeks to look and see, okay, we're talking about Jesus, and, and, and maybe you're familiar with him from the standpoint of you know a little bit about the Bible. Maybe you've heard the story around Christmas time or around Easter. But who is this Jesus we're talking about? And, and what, what do we need to know about him to help us not only understand who he is, but also how it can apply to our personal lives? And, and, and how Jesus, what he did over 2,000 years ago, and the fact that we believe as Christians he's alive and well today, what Jesus can still be for you this very moment today and in the future. And so the title of the message today is, He is the Good Master. He is the Good Master. For the past several weeks, we've talked about different He is statements of who He is, and He is the Good Master. Now, here's what's really fun. 
Today, not necessarily am I going to try to convince you that Jesus is the good master. What I'm going to allow is I'm going to allow Jesus himself to prove to you he is the good master. And so we're going to look at four proofs in the section of Scripture today. Four proofs so he can prove himself to be truly that good master. So hopefully, if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to write down, if you're taking notes, is he begins with questions. He begins with questions. This is the first proof, and and how he's going to prove he's a good master is Jesus is going, he's going to start with questions. He begins with questions. Let's look in verse 17 again. Verse 17, and when he was gone forth into the way, that this is talking about Jesus going forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, notice this, good master. So this man comes and, 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 and kind of goes to Jesus and, and says, okay, I'm going to acknowledge you as a good master. And he says, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now let's talk about that for just a minute. One is, he's saying, he's acknowledging, calling him good master. We're going to look at that in the next verse and see how Jesus responds to that. But he also asks the question, what shall I do? See, already his mentality is, okay, uh, in order for me to get eternal life, there must be something I'm supposed to do. This rich young ruler, and we'll talk about this in just a minute about him being a rich young ruler, but this man is saying, hey, Jesus, what do I have to do? To inherit eternal life. What's, what's interesting about that is, one, he says, okay, what can I do? What can I physically do in my human effort? But notice what he says, that I may inherit eternal life. What's interesting, if you think about an inheritance, an inheritance is not something that you do or earn to get. An inheritance is given by someone else to the other person. But yet he's asking this and saying, hey, what do I need to do so that I may inherit, somebody can give to me, can I inherit eternal life? So he starts with a question. The, the man starts with a question to Jesus. Now let's look in verse 18, what Jesus' response is to him. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? Why do you call me good? Look, notice this. There is none good but one, that is God. That is God. So this man comes up to Jesus and says, hey, look, look, you're the good master, good master. Like, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Because he's helping him to see, like, if you call me good, to acknowledge you calling me good, the only way you can acknowledge me and my goodness is that if you acknowledge that I am God. Because the only one who's good is God. And so that's what Jesus says. What's interesting about this, I love this as you, as you read through the Gospels, and I encourage you to look through this as you read through the Gospels. Many times when someone asks Jesus a question, he in turn asks them a question back. He, he, he kind of, okay, we, we have all these questions, but God kind of puts, uh, puts a question back on them. And, then, and you see all through Jesus' teaching, he's asking a lot of questions. Because when someone asks me a question, it forces me to think. It forces me to go, okay, all right, so he's asked me a question, so I need to answer that question, and it forces me to think, and it forces me to really check up and understand, okay, what is Jesus trying to say at this very moment to me? So again, if you're taking notes, number one, it begins with questions. 
It begins with questions. So from the standpoint of good master, what we need to understand, if he is going to truly be the good master, that would mean that he is truly God. Because there's only one that is good, and that is God. Now, number two, if you're taking notes, he proceeds with a challenge. He proceeds with a challenge. So, we, so the, 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 the man comes and asks him a question. Then Jesus asks a question back to him. But then number two, he proceeds with a challenge. Let's look in verse 19. It says, thou knowest the commandments. Thou knowest the commandments. So Jesus is assuming that he knows the commandments. Thou knowest the commandments. And then he starts to list some of the commandments out. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Or, or really from the standpoint of lying, okay? Honor thy father and mother. And so Jesus starts to lay out these commandments to him and says, you know the commandments, this commandment, that commandment, this commandment. Now notice what's kind of interesting here is that he doesn't list out all of the commandments. Actually, what's really interesting is he only kind of lays out the second half of the Ten Commandments. He has left out the first half. Now, we'll talk about the first half in just a minute. But he's pointing him to, okay, here's the commandments that really, this is how you can physically see, are you doing something for God from the standpoint of how are you interacting with people? Well, how are you keeping the commandments that, that help you from the standpoint of how you interact with people? What are you doing for people? How you're not sinning against people? All of these are, are towards people. Committing adultery, killing, stealing, bearing false witness, you know, defrauding not, honor thy father. All those are geared towards, all those are geared towards how we interact with people. Now notice in verse 20, and he answered, this is the, this is the young man. And he answered, this is how he answered Jesus, and he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. What this, what this young ruler is saying, look, you know all those commandments you just listed out, Jesus? I've done those perfectly. I've done them exactly to the letter, perfect. Here's how, what he's really trying to say, let's just be honest. Jesus, I just want to let you know, I've done pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. Everything you've laid out thus far, Jesus, I've done. I've done the things that I need to do. Remember, I came and asked about inheriting eternal life, and you've kind of put some things out here, and let me help you this. I've done that, and I've done this, and I've done that. I've done everything you've just laid out, Jesus. It's kind of pointing to his goodness. Pointing to his goodness. Notice in verse 21, then Jesus beholding him, here I love these next two words, loved him. Now before we look and see exactly what Jesus is about to say to this young man, I want you to notice that what Jesus is about to say, he's saying it out of love. He's saying it out of love. He truly loves this man. This man, now here's what's interesting about this, this man wants eternal life, so he is unconverted at this point. He, he has not put his faith and trust in Jesus. He is not saved, okay? But Jesus looks at him and loves him. What he is about to say is not to harm him. It is not to, 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 to discourage him. He is saying that what, the challenge he is about to put to this man is, is a challenge of love, of love. Now let's notice what Jesus says to him. It says in verse 21 that Jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him, 
one thing thou lackest. This is so interesting. Of all the things that he needs to do, technically do, in order to eternal, inherit eternal life, there is only one thing that Jesus says he needs to do. One thing. Now, I don't know about you, but if I went to somebody and asked what I need to do, and, they, and I, I was looking for the list, hey, give me the list of things I need to do. If I need to do, you know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. If anything, if I'm this, this young man, I'm thinking if I go to Jesus and ask for what do I need to do, he's going to give me a long list. He's going to give me a long list because obviously there's a lot of things I have to do to get eternal life. And, only, and Jesus says, look, you just have to do one thing. One thing, young man, you do one thing. Let's see what that one thing is. One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever, whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and take up the cross and follow me. So notice what Jesus says is that, look, here's what I need you to do. That one thing I need you to do is I need you to go and sell everything you have, and you give it to the poor. And notice there is a, there, there's, a, there's a trade-off that's happening. So it's not like he's just selling all his possessions and giving to the poor. He's actually gaining something as well because he talks about, hey, if you get rid of your earthly treasures, you'll have treasures in heaven, okay? All right, he talks about that. You'll have treasures in heaven. But he also tells him, okay, once you do that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come, take up the cross, and follow me. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. So Jesus laid out to him like this is the only thing you need to do. The only thing you need to do at this very moment is to sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Now you're going to get treasures in heaven because of that. But you come, you take up that the cross, the cross of Jesus, the cross of Christ, and you come and you follow me. Now again, you would think in this very moment that his response would be, "Okay, let's go, Jesus." This sounds good. This is just one thing I have to do, and then I can have eternal life. But notice what his response is in verse 22. And he was sad at that saying. He was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. He had great possessions. Here's a man that wants eternal life. Jesus says, there's one thing lacking. If you do this one thing and just go ahead and follow me, and his response is sadness. His response is grief because he has great possessions. And in all honesty, he doesn't want to do what Jesus is asking him to do. Now, we'll talk about in just a minute what exactly the problem was. Because some of y'all look at it and go, so is Jesus asking me to sell everything I have and give it to the poor? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. And really, in this guy's situation, not necessarily is that really what he, what, that, that was his thing. But there, it was pointing to something far greater that Jesus was trying to help him to see when it comes to eternal life. And so we, we, we have the first proof was he begins with questions. Then he proceeds with a challenge. And number three, he continues with a lesson. He continues with a lesson. Remember, he is proving that he is the good master according to what, he, what, what Jesus himself is saying in here. 
He continues, number three, he continues with a lesson. He continues with a lesson. Now notice this in verse 23. And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And basically he's saying, you know what, for somebody who has a lot of riches, it may, it, it may be really hard for them to enter into the kingdom of God. Now notice in verse 24, And the disciples were astonished at his words. Okay, they were astonished at his words. Now, what's interesting about this is they were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered him and answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them, notice the next words, that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. See, the problem was not, the problem was not the fact that he had great riches. It was the fact that he put his trust in those riches. Let me say it a different way. What he was doing was he was saying, look, when it, when, what Jesus was trying to say is, look, what you're doing is you're trusting everything in your bank account. And that's what you're determining whether you're, you, you, like, if, if the bank account is good, everything's good. If the bank account is bad, everything's bad. Because everything, he was putting all his trust in what he had, when in reality, what Jesus is saying is, look, you don't need to put your trust in what you have. You don't need to put your trust in the money and the possessions and the material things that you have. He wanted him to put his trust in him. Trust in him. It says, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of, of heaven? Notice in verse, in verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Because what it was is there was a trust. Now let's go back to those commandments. Remember, he, he pointed out the latter half of the, of the Ten Commandments, all the commandments that affect how we interact with people. We, you know, we don't commit adultery, we don't kill, we, we, we don't steal, we don't you know, defraud or bear false witness and all kinds of how we interact with people. But you know what? The first set of the Ten Commandments are so important as well. And I'll start with the first one. You shall not have any gods other than me. No gods before me. Okay? So, so the only God we can have is God himself. The one holy Jehovah God. That's the only God we can have. And anything that we put before God, we have made a God. And if we put a God before the true God, what we're doing is we're committing idolatry. And what he's saying here is that, look, the problem was not that he had all these great possessions. The problem was not that he had riches. The problem was is where he placed his trust. Where he placed his trust. Because if he put his trust and faith all in his riches, let me help you with this, his money became his God. His money became his God. And in order, and in order to come to Jesus, we cannot make anything above Jesus it has to be Jesus and then everything else. He has to be number one. Let me help you with this. It's not just about he's number one, like he's number one in the list. Here's what Jesus wants to be. He wants to be it all. He wants to be it all. Our trust cannot be in anything but Jesus. And so, so we see he's, he's proving that he's the good master. And I'm going I'm I'm to put this all together for you. Okay? 
Now, before, before, before we get to, to point number four, here's some things so we can understand because the Bible talks about putting our trust in our money. First Timothy, First Timothy 6.10, notice this. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all evil. What's interesting, let's keep reading that verse. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Do you remember how the man left Jesus? He was sad and grieving. There were many sorrows. Notice this in Matthew 6.21. says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus was not focused on his money. Probably in all all seriousness, Jesus really didn't care about what he had material-wise. But he did care about his heart. And he knew what was in his heart. And he knew what was in his heart was the money, not Jesus. Now, number four, number four, if you're still taking notes, number four. Again, number one, he begins with questions. Number two, he proceeds with a challenge. Number three, he continues with a lesson. And then number four, he ends with a declaration. He ends with a declaration. He ends with a declaration. Let's look in verse 26. And they were astonished. This is the disciples. And they were astonished out of measure or beyond measure, saying amongst themselves, Who then can be saved? Now here's what's interesting. In my study this week, they're, they're kind of wondering then who can be saved. If, if, if a rich man can't even come in. Now, now here's what's interesting about this. Is really the, the, Let's look at it from this perspective. That Okay, if, if a rich man can't get in, what, what, what about the poor? But, but that's what we're looking at is that really they looked in the Old Testament times that riches were a sign of blessing. So if a rich man couldn't get in, then the poor have no, no hope at all either. And, and so, so this is where the disciples in their mind, they're thinking, you know, there's nothing like if a rich man can't get in, what's the poor? They don't have a chance here. Like, I guess nobody can get to heaven then. Because here's what they understood is they understand the human condition. They understand the human condition because let's be honest. There are things that pull at our hearts. There are, there are things that we have, we have focused on in this world, whether it be our money, whether it be our kids, whether it be our spouse, whether it be our job. And here's the deal. Jesus knows our human condition. He knows our natural inclination to trust in those things, to trust in our jobs, to trust in our family, to trust in our bank account. He knows that about us. And, and so even from the standpoint of the disciples, like, okay, we're, we're, what are we doing here? Because we're all, we're all hopeless here. Because we know, our, we know who we are and how we are, and we know that sometimes we do this. We put our trust in these things. But notice what Jesus says in verse 27. And Jesus, looking upon them, say, saith, which with men it is impossible. It's impossible. I don't know about you, but that's if, if, if Jesus just stopped right there, I would be really hopeless. Because he's basically saying, hey, look, hey, you have no hope whatsoever. Because here, your natural tendency is to put your trust in other things. But notice this. With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. All things are possible. Now here's what's kind of interesting about this. And here's what I want to help you with. 
Because when I look at this, at this, when I first looked at the section of Scripture, I was really focused on, okay, what is this saying? What is this saying in particular uh, uh, about what we need to do? Now, my first thought was, maybe it's talking about surrender. Maybe we need to surrender. Maybe we need to do a better job of, you know, if God asks us to take something away out of our life or move something around or whatever, maybe we need to surrender that. But I don't think this is all what it's talking about. You can apply that, but I don't think this is what it's talking about at all. Because remember what the rich young ruler was saying. Good master, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And here's what I want to help you with. It's not about anything you do, because you're not good. You're not good. This is why he says it's impossible with men, because we're not good. We're not good. If we call ourselves good, here's what we're doing. If we call ourselves good, guess what we're calling ourselves? According to Jesus, we're calling ourselves God. And any time we put our trust in the things of this world, like our career, our family, our children, our bank account, here's what we're we're doing. We're saying, you know what? I can control that. That's what I can do. And here's the deal. What happens is we start to make ourselves our own God. When in reality, we are not God. When in reality, we're not good. The only reason why we have an ability to get to heaven is not because of our goodness. It's because of the goodness of Jesus. That's why we can get to heaven. Not because of what we do, but because of what he's done on the cross. And so here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Now here's what's interesting. There, this, actually, this message can hit twofold. Twofold, okay? One, I want to talk to the person that is a non-believer. I want to talk to the person that's a little curious. I want to talk to the person that's unsaved. We would use that terminology. You have, you're not saved. You haven't, you haven't found salvation. You haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus. I want to talk to that person right now. Here's what I want to tell you. Me, you, every single person that's watching, every single person that's in here helping this all go along, every single one of us is not good enough. You're not good enough. If if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're not good enough. And let me help you with this. You never will be. You can try your best, but you're never going to be good enough. But here's here's the exciting thing. That's okay. That's okay. You're trying to work your way to heaven. Let me help you with this. You're always going to come up short. Because the only one who's good is God, and you're not God. And so here's what I want to encourage you about, is don't don't put your faith and trust in your goodness, because it's not going to get you there anyways. But let me help you with this, if you put your faith and trust in the goodness of God, in the goodness of Jesus, because of what he did on the cross by dying for your sins, and three days later rising up in victory, if you put your faith in the goodness of Jesus, here's what I want to help you with, this is according to your Bible, that Jesus will save you. He will save you. Not because of something you've done or not done. It's because of what he's already done. So if you're an unbeliever, if you're curious, if you're, if you're searching and you're trying to, to be a good person, let me help you with this. It's not going to work. You've got to put your faith and trust in the goodness of Jesus. Now I want to now talk to the Christian. Talk to the believer. Talk to the person that's put their faith and trust in Jesus. 
Now, we talked about a, a, a surrender. What's interesting is the last song that we sang before I got here was, I Surrender All. Now, that's a hard song to sing sometimes because, let's be honest, a lot of us have really not done that. Probably all of us have not truly done that. We have not surrendered all. And so my question is, what are you holding back from God right now? There, there are some areas in my life recently, recently that I've seen that I would have said, I would have said for years, I've surrendered it all, when in reality I hadn't surrendered it at all. So what do you, what do you need to surrender to God? This guy had to surrender, hey, guess what? It's not about my bank account. You know, somebody may, you maybe you need to surrender that addiction you have. Maybe you need to surrender that relationship you're in. Now, here's, what, here's what's really interesting. Whether you know if you're surrendered or not is when, what your reaction is when either God wants it from you or wants it out of you. If, you, if there's some areas in your life and you have to ask the question, okay, if, if, if for whatever reason you lost that today, you lost that today, whether God required it or God said, hey, you got to get that out of your life, what would be your reaction? If there's any hesitation, let me help you with this, you are not surrendered. You're not surrendered. And if there's areas in your life where you're trying to compartmentalize and say, Jesus, I'll give you, let me help you with this, Jesus, I love you, I'll give you 85%. Jesus, I love you, I'll give you 10%. Or excuse me, I'll give you 90%. Or I'll give you 95%. Let me help you this. If you have surrendered to God in 95%, I only help you this. God is not focused on that 95%. He's focused on that last five. He's focused on that last five. Because here's what's interesting about this man. He had one thing. One thing. If he would not put his trust and faith in his riches and put his trust and faith in Jesus, he would have been fully surrendered to God and he would have been able to follow him and put his faith and trust in him completely. And so if you're not fully surrendered, now, here's what I want to help you with. I want to share one last verse with you. I want to share one last verse with you. It says, Matthew 15, 8. It says, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, but honoreth me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. See, let me help you with this. Let me help you with this. And I'm helping myself right now, okay? Because i got to keep telling myself this as well. Here's what I want to help you with. You can't just say you're surrendered. You can't just say it. You can't give God lip service. I'm surrendered. Okay, if you're fully surrendered, me, you, everybody in this room, if you're fully surrendered, here's what I want you to do. Look at your life. Look at the actions. Have you truly surrendered to God? Are you just paying Him lip service? Now, we're about to start our invitation. Now, don't turn it off. Please don't turn it off just because we're about to start our invitation because this is the most important part of the whole entire service. We have a really cool song that's going to go right with the message, and I'm I'm excited about that. But here's what I want to help everybody with. I want you to, I want, I want every single person in this room, every single person that's watching online, right now, at this very moment, I want you to ask yourself a question. I want you to ask yourself a question. It's about the goodness of Jesus. 
Have you put your faith and trust in the goodness of Jesus, or have you only put your faith and trust in you and your goodness? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you can turn around and you can, t- and you can no longer put your trust and faith in anything in this world. You can put your trust and faith in Jesus. You can do that today. Message us on Facebook. We want to help you with that. We want to encourage you in that. But for the other people out there, you know what? I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. But if I'm being honest, Buchanan, I'm not fully surrendered. There has to come a time. There has to come a time where you will put your full, your full, you, you, you will completely surrender to God. Notice again, remember what, what Jesus did when he talked to this rich young ruler. Remember what he said. Before he said it, he looked at him and loved him. God's asking you to take some stuff out of your life. God's asking you to say, hey, these things are hindering your life. Hey, why don't you, why don't you go ahead and, 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 and take care and, and get out of the way that addiction. Get that relationship out of the way. Stop putting your trust and faith in other things in this world. He's asking you to do that. He's doing it out of love. He cares about you. See, what's interesting is, is uh, I've got kids. I've got two boys. And I think about my two boys and, 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 and constantly, constantly I'm, 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 I'm kind of helping them and talking to them about stuff and, and, and saying, hey, you know, like, like, like you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do this. Now, the reason why I, I'm, I'm guiding and directing my boys in, in these different ways is because I love them. Because I love them, not because I hate them. I want good things for their life. I want, I want, I want them to put their faith and trust in Jesus. I want them to live a life full of, of obedience to Christ. But that sometimes means I've got to tell them, hey, look, you don't need to be doing this anymore. You need to start doing that and stop doing this. And here's what's funny. Guess what? <laughs> you probably know this. They don't usually like it. <laughs> but I do it because I love them. And your Heavenly Father loves you too. And He wants what's best for you. Stop settling for less. You want that abundant life in Jesus? Surrender to Him today. If you're saved, surrender to Him and, 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 and take care of those things. Get those things out of your life. If you're not saved, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, best thing to do from the standpoint of surrender is acknowledge you're a sinner in need of a Savior. When you call on Him, according to His word, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Lord God, as we continue in this very uncertain times, Lord God, we need you. We need you in great and mighty ways. And so, Lord, right now, right now, at this very moment, Lord, there are people under the sound of my voice right now that, truth be told, they have never put their faith and trust in you. They have never put their faith and trust in Jesus. And, Lord, today is the day. And, Lord, I pray, Lord God, if they have questions, they would message us and reach out and let us help them. But, Lord God, right now, as they're watching their computer screen, are watching on their device 
Lord God, right now, they could, they, could, they could pray right now and say, Today, Lord, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose three days later in victory over those sins. And today I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And Lord God, remember, Lord God, you know it's not about the words we say, but it's about the, the, the intentions of our heart. And so, Lord God, the people that are under the sound of my voice, Lord God, Lord, I pray they pray with, with their heart, not just with their words. And, Lord God, there's people right now under the sound of my voice that, Lord God, they need to be fully surrendered to you. Partial surrender is not surrender. Partial obedience is not obedience. Full surrender, full obedience is what you desire. And so, Lord God, I pray that you give every single person that needs to surrender some things in their life, give them the courage and boldness to take those steps, knowing that you have a great plan for their life. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you today. We make big of you because you are awesome. You are so good. You truly are the good master. We pray all these things in your wonderful name. Amen.